Chapter 6 Help Jim gripped the lantern post with his thighs and freed his hands. He mirrored her sign and held it ready. Her eyes drifted above the crowd vacantly, but with a little luck she'd spot the movement. He held his breath, his thighs and arms aching, but the sign held firm. There. Her eyes drifted past him, and he thrust the sign toward her, then quickly the sign for questioning. Help? It was as if a spell was broken. Suddenly the glaze fell away from her eyes, and they met his. She glanced at her hands, being careful now. You know sign! Jim nodded, his skin prickling with goosebumps. He looked around to ensure nobody was watching. The girl's hands moved again. She jabbed a finger at him, curled it like a hook, then made the sign for help again, drawing it in close to her belly. You must help me! Jim swallowed, his mind racing. Her eyes never left his, and he felt that she could read his thoughts, sense every fear and weakness. He looked at the square, the makeshift stage, the half-dozen clerics fielding submissions from the pressing crowd. How? he asked. She raised her wrists, displaying the rough bindings and the sore, bloody welts where she had strained against them. She wanted to be untied. That was all. He could do that. How could he do that? They'd see, they'd all see, he should never come to the square. He tried to focus. This was just a mechanical problem. He was good at those. They weren't scary. If you couldn't undo a knot, you simply cut the line. He scanned the crates of recycled metal tools that had been shoved aside to make way for the clerics. There had to be something there. He had a vision of himself dashing up onto the stage like a youper knight, wielding a wood saw for a sword, snatching her up like a princess and charging away on a steeder bike. No. He couldn't get onto the stage. They'd both be caught and probably killed. But perhaps he could toss something to her. Something that would help. Something sharp. Sliding down the lantern post into the crowd below, Jim held his breath, feeling as if he were slipping beneath the surface into a crush of bodies larger than his. Pushing between them, he found himself fighting against every other sea rogue who had come to clamour for the cleric's attention and a chance at the offered fortune. He worked his way sideways, trying to contain the panic swelling in his chest, eventually coming within sight of the crates again. What was he doing? This was madness. He saw glistening chisel tips bristling from one of the crates just out of reach. He would have to lean forward and snatch one, hope he wasn't seen. Of course he would be seen. He'd be taken for a thief. Breathing through the fear, he tried to steady himself. It was simple. The crowd around them were distracted. He just had to reach forward, snatch one of the tools, and disappear back into the press. Come on, he whispered. Then, darting his hand out, he plucked one of the tools from the crate and slunk back into the crowd, a thief. His heart beat against his ribcage, and he glared around anxiously at the crowd, but nobody seemed to notice the stolen tool in his hand. The wooden handle was already damp from his sweaty palm, but he tested the tip and found it sharp. 
He'd need to be careful not to cut her when he threw it. Shoving his way toward the front of the crowd, Jim caught sight of the girl again, this time through a forest of reaching arms. Most of the attention was on the clerics now, the fairy girl almost forgotten. If he could just toss the chisel, have it land within her reach, his part would be played and he could disappear before anyone knew what had happened. Slipping the chisel from his left hand to his right, he shouldered some space around himself, enough for a quick overarm throw. You can do this, he muttered to himself, his hand slick against the metal blade. Come on, think like one of the crew, think like you're an Arconaut. You can do it. In one hurried motion, he raised his arm over his shoulder and threw. Only nothing happened. His arm was arrested in mid-throw by an uncannily strong hand, gnarled with arthritis, the chisel toppling uselessly to the ground. You can do what? snarled the keeper of the hand, peering at him from within a deep hood. Jim's throat restricted as he perceived the face within, a horrifying visage of old molten scars creeping out from behind a bandage that covered both eyes. Nothing. I wasn't doing anything. Jim stammered. I was just... What? The blind man drew Jim in closer, so close he could smell the decay on his breath, and peeled the bandage back with his free hand, revealing empty sockets, horribly disfigured by acid. You think I don't see what you're about? (laughs) Jim pulled himself away, the sleeve of his new shirt ripping from the shoulder as he fell backwards into the dirt. The chisel stood there in the packed earth, point down, but his courage was spent. Rolling to his belly, Jim crawled, dignity forgotten, between stamping feet, putting distance between himself and the old man. As he tried to stand, a stranger's boot collided with his temple, hard, and he collapsed, the floor spinning and wheeling beneath him. Fighting back nausea, Jim righted himself and crawled onwards pushing through a thicket of legs toward a glimpse of cover ahead. Scurrying beneath the low wooden platform, Jim found himself free of the crowd at last. Breathless and afraid, he felt like a wild animal cowering in a cave that was too small for his predators. He looked back at the stampede of ambitious sea folk, all pressing forward against his wooden shelter. Forward. Something about that didn't make sense. His head was still fuzzy from the blow. He was running away. Looking up through the warped beams of the platform, Jim's good eye widened in shock and realisation as he saw someone pacing back and forth above him. A par. He must have gotten turned around. He hadn't crawled away at all, but beneath the makeshift stage. Panic gripped him. He turned back to the way he came, trying to spot a way to freedom, some gap in the pressing crowd, but there was none. For the briefest moment, he glimpsed the chisel, still embedded point down in the packed earth, almost twenty feet from him now. Just as the parting in the sea of legs flowed shut again, he caught sight of an old, gnarled hand, closing about its handle. A chill shot through Jim's veins. The blind man was coming for him. To kill him. 
Putting his back to the crowd, Jim retreated deeper beneath the stage. He crawled over years of dirt, decay and scrap, scrabbling for some way out on the far side of the platform. It was dark, the only light filtering through the gaps in the creaking boards above. Two sides of the square platform were blocked by the pressing crowd and one by the toolmaker's workshop, but that still left hope, somewhere behind the piles of accumulated filth and detritus ahead. Jim dragged rusted steel aside, sending up a cloud of young magflies to buzz angrily about his head. He quarried with his hands through a rotting mound of wood shavings, eventually working enough space to squeeze through, through to the other side, and freedom. Only it wasn't freedom. He could see past the platform. A narrow alley beyond it, and beyond that the street outside the square. But the view of his escape was obstructed. He was looking through the gaps in an old chain-link fence, not five feet from the edge of the stage. Squeezing his way from under the platform, he crouched beside the fence and peered back at the reverse of the scene playing out above him. The half-dozen clerics were still dealing with the clamouring crowd, filtering the offered leads before passing them on to the immaculate Pa, who listened solemnly to a handful of sailors off to the right. The two clerics closest to him stood shoulder to shoulder, and Jim could just make out the fairy girl kneeling before them, looking hopelessly for help somewhere in the mass of onlookers. Chancing a look at the crowd, Jim inched himself higher. He saw their hands, and then arms, and then heads. But his nerve gave out before he got to their staring faces, and he ducked back into the cover of the platform. Turning his attention to the fence, he wondered if he might dig under it, but the earth was packed too hard and sunbaked. He could climb it easy enough, but he'd be in full view of the crowd. The blind man might not be able to see him, but he would come all the same. Jim could feel him drawing closer, the chisel gripped in his fist, his empty eyes staring. One of the magflies he disturbed buzzed around him, snapping him out of the fear grip. It flew toward the fence, testing the old steel for rust. Steel. The strongest metal. And the hardest to maintain. Crawling forward, Jim inspected the links. The metal was weak and rusted. He gripped a link in both hands and began to work it back and forth, back and forth, feeling the heat accumulate at the stress point. His palms were sweaty by the time the narrow wire gave out, but it was a start. Tracing the wire up the fence as far as he dared, Jim started to work at another link, repeating the process of fatiguing the metal. There was a gasp in the crowd behind him, and Jim whirled around, fearing he'd been seen. But all eyes were forward, and toward the left of the stage, where an old cloaked figure had sprung to the platform, brandishing the chisel. Jim's blood turned to ice. His killer was coming. Whirling back to the fence, Jim worked furiously at the metal, caution now forgotten. He felt it give way and started frantically to untangle the wire, widening the hole. There was a cry of pain behind him as the killer closed in. Unhand her, you cowards! demanded an unsteady old voice from the stage. Jim paused. He recognised the voice. Loken. 
Jim turned, his mouth falling open when he saw the old scanned man, his cloak thrown aside, now wielding the chisel like a sword, raking it back and forth to keep the clerics at bay. One of the pars already lay on the platform, his grubby white robe stained wet red. Fearful of being seen in the commotion, Jim sprung back under the platform, peering anxiously up through the cracks. The fair folk are not for hands such as yours, Skitsovel! Loken spat, his eyes blazing blue as he lunged for the pars who guarded the girl. The boards groaned under the weight of the tussle, and Jim thought they might fall through. Suddenly there was a blur of white robe, then hands and a face fell hard against the platform right above him, staring. Scrabbling back, Jim saw that it was not white cloth at all, but white skin. The fairy girl's eyes widened, recognising him as he cowered beneath the stage. She glanced back toward the fight, then back to Jim. Through the crack, he saw something change in her then. A resolve hardened behind her eyes, and before he could stop her, she sprang down from the platform. Gasps rippled through the crowd, though whether at her sudden disappearance or the ongoing fight, Jim couldn't tell. He blinked at the girl, now crouched low between him and the fence, hands bound, and looking at him eagerly for their next move. Jim froze, his mind racing. He spoke as quickly as his dry mouth would allow. Go. There's a hole in the fence behind you, he urged. If she fled, he could stay hidden here, until nightfall if necessary. She cocked her head quizzically and squinted at him, jabbing a finger urgently at her ear. She couldn't hear him. She couldn't hear. Pushing past her, Jim pointed at the narrow gap in the fence, pulling it aside and gesturing frantically. Understanding, she scrabbled through the hole, the sharp metal tearing at her skin as she went, leaving red welts against the salt white. Jim glanced at the stage as she went and froze in horror, as hundreds of pairs of eyes locked on him, mouths agape. Loken, now pinned to the ground by three pars, giggled with toothless delight. (laughs) Well done, my boy! (laughs) He crowed. The neat pa in his immaculate robes strode forward, rage burning in his eyes as he bellowed at the crowd. Jim was already halfway through the fence by the time the words caught up to him and registered in his mind. A thousand silver to the man who brings her back alive! I have only been here one day. I don't know anywhere, Jim signed desperately. They had put three broad streets between themselves and the square, darting down narrow alleys and zigzagging as best they could, but breathlessness had caught up with them here, forcing them to stop and rest between the leaning timbers of a woodmaker's shop. The fairy girl's eyes were wide and wild and darted about, but still she appeared calmer than Jim felt. She'd managed to cut her bonds with a shard of broken bottle and had signed urgently demanding to know where he planned to take her and what he planned to do. He'd never got nearly that far in his imagined plans. He still wasn't sure how he managed to end up fleeing alongside her like some sort of criminal, but there was something magnetic about her. She shouldn't exist. She was right out of a storybook. 
and he couldn't quite bring himself to stop turning the pages. He tried to calm himself and think. Syrinx's lab was out of the way and well hid, but with the mysterious splicer out looking for Loken, and what with Loken's sudden intervention in the square, he suspected it would be crawling with clergymen already. The bent bow. Perhaps he could sneak her in there. But all those eyes had seen him. It would only be a matter of time before someone connected him to his room there. If there is nowhere to run, we must hide, she signed simply. Hide? Wait! Jim shook his head. He offered a thousand silver. That is much? Jim nodded. A year of work? Maybe more? They will look for a long time. There was a yell in the street outside, then a response, and another. A search party. We need to keep moving. Together they crept along the alley, always away from the square, and dashed across the neighbouring street. The girl streaked like a white comet against the grime of Shoalhaven. We must cover you, Jim signed as they ducked into the next alley, gesturing at the whole of her. The impossibly pale skin, already burned red with sunrash, and the salt-white hair that stood out like a white fire even in the noonday sun. She could be recognised at two hundred paces. Snatching a mouldering blanket from a pile of junk on the floor, Jim cried out in alarm as a toothless woman beneath it hissed at him and snatched it back. Thief! Molester of the old! She cried, staring at the intruders with feral eyes. Jim let go the blanket and backed away, holding a finger to his lips, pleading for quiet. Thief! Thief and a freak! The wild woman continued, louder and more frantic still. Jim fished the knot of bar coin from his pocket and tossed it to her, silver and all, begging for silence, but it was too late. A new voice, deep, gruff. Right, no quiet, eh? No need for hurting. Jim spun toward the voice and saw a grim, wiry silhouette squeezing into the narrow alley behind the fairy girl, hands outstretched in a gesture of calm. Following Jim's terrified stare, the girl turned too, and wasted barely a second before ducking low and throwing all her weight at the intruder's waist, folding him double. The tackle hit him hard and threw him backward to the ground, but he held fast, grasping the back of her neck in a sinewy vice grip. She kicked, trying to push over him and away, but he clung on like a man overboard to a lifeline. He raised a fist and brought it down hammer-like against her kidneys, sending a whoosh of air from her lungs. Taking advantage of her lapse, he rolled, pinning her to the ground and kneeling astride her waist. She kicked out and clawed at his face, but the wiry man was too tall, her fingers scrabbling uselessly against his neck and chest. Got her! he yelled, delirious with the promise of riches. I've got her! <laughs> Jim, shaking himself from inaction, sprung forward, wrapping his arms around the man's neck and throttling the yells that would bring the whole town upon them. The gasping man reached up to his new assailant, finding Jim's head alongside his own. Jim watched helplessly as the man's right hand curled into a wiry fist like a steel ball inside a leather pouch and pounded into his face. The first blow struck him in the jaw, splitting his lip. Then the temple 
Sparks exploded inside his eyelids, but he fought to hold on, fought to open his eyes at least and see. The third blow caught him right in the eyepiece. He felt the delicate metal give way and the already broken glass dig deep into his cheek. Jim cried out groggily, squeezing tighter still as the man stood up to his full height, clutching desperately at Jim's arms. Then at last, he toppled forward, bringing Jim, bloodied and winded, crashing down above him. Jim managed to peer through his swollen eye to see the fairy girl scramble to her feet, free. He longed for her to run, to get away and to leave him here. She seemed to read his thoughts, and turned to the open end of the alley as if to flee, but backed away as another silhouetted figure squeezed between the narrow walls before her. Jim saw a deep hood, and imagined the blind man returned to finish the job. Wrenching his arms free from the unconscious man's neck, Jim scrabbled to his feet, dragging at the girl, crying out uselessly for her to follow, pulling her back and away from that dreadful hood. Hush, child! You don't have lung! hissed the silhouette. As she squeezed closer, Jim recognised the face of Syrinx within the hood's blackness. There was a yell from the street behind him, back toward the square and the way they had come. Then, excited responses. Jim heard the words freak and rich echoing through the jumbled streets. Syrinx pushed herself past him and the girl, putting herself between them and the hunting voices. Pulling her hooded cloak from her shoulders, she tossed it at Jim. Cover her for Christ's sake, child! Syrinx's eyes lingered on the fairy girl for a moment, and Jim thought he read a childlike wonder in the lines of the stern face. Get her out of here, she urged, before pushing past the gawping homeless woman and into the street beyond. As they fled, Jim heard the splicer's deep, rich voice raised against their pursuers but it did not cry out for long. With the girl wrapped in Syrinx's cloak, they made a less conspicuous sight as they scurried across streets and down alleys. Jim tried not to think of the price Syrinx would pay for assisting them, a thought embittered by the creeping realisation that it would all be for nothing, for the streets were already thinning and they were rapidly running out of places to flee. Soon they would be caught between their pursuers and the sea. The idea struck him like a blow, and he stopped mid-flight, dragging the girl back like a dropped anchor. The Archon. The Captain. They knew about the Fair Folk. They would know where to take her. He glanced up at the midday sun, tried to remember the noon bell. How long since it had rung? He swallowed, hoping against hope that they still had time. The fairy girl tugged frantically at his arm, dragging him toward the nearest alley as a gang of rogues down the street began to notice them, but Jim shook his head. To the sea, he signed, and took off at full speed right down the middle of the wide street. By the time they reached the dock, the barking calls of chase were thick in the air behind them, spurring them on. Clutching the fairy's hand, Jim sprinted past the bewildered fishers, the woodmakers, and the gawping selkie girls draped in the jewellery of their patrons. Together, they sprinted out across the shanty street and leapt to the long stone jetty. The Archon was easy to spot. The lone wooden hull among the rusting steel hulks, her white sails full and pulling. She was already leaving. 
They were too late. Mac! Captain! Jim cried desperately. Come back! She was already far away, almost two hundred feet, too far to hear, perhaps. Except... Gam! Gam, if you can hear me, you need to come back! Tell the captain! The fairy girl stared at the ship despairingly, then back toward the town. Even from here, Jim could hear the noise of the pursuing rabble. They would reach the dock soon, and it would all be over. A familiar, long, musical whistle carried over the water, and Jim saw the captain stood on the railings of the Archon's aftcastle, grasping a rope. I'm sorry, Jim. I told you. This life isn't for you, he called as the ship cut away through the water. It isn't for... Jim wailed in frustration and strode toward the water's edge. He dragged the girl closer and pulled her hood back, her salt-white hair shining like a flare in the noonday sun. It's for her! Even from here, Jim saw the change come over the captain, who hesitated for the briefest moment before spinning on his heel and yelling at the crew. Within moments, the great ship began to come about, heeling hard to one side with the effort of the turn. Together, Jim and the girl charged right to the end of the jetty, spending what little was left in their legs. The Archon was making a swift course, but the turn wasn't enough. She was going to pass almost twenty feet from the end of the platform. She would have to turn again and make another pass. Jim whirled around. A great rabble had assembled at the foot of the jetty and were pressing over one another to pursue them. More than one rogue ended up in the water, scrambling onto boats rather than fighting the crowd. We have to jump, signed the girl, throwing off the bulky cloak and stepping nimbly to the edge. The Archonauts must have seen this, for lines were tossed into the water, trailing alongside the hull as it charged toward them through the spray. Jim's chest constricted as he looked down at the waves. The rocks. The surging hull. The leap was fifteen feet into the water. The fairy girl looked back at him, desperation etched onto her face as she prepared to dive. I can't, he signed. He longed for her to understand, for more time, so he could explain. Swimming was forbidden. He glanced back at the crowd. The clerics were among them now. He saw proud Syrinx, beaten and bloodied, her feet skittering along the stones as she was dragged bodily between them. There was a splash, and the girl was gone. Jim edged toward the water and saw her, a streak of white gliding beneath the waves, quick as a fish. You can't escape us! We have ships! cried the immaculate Pa, and Jim felt he could feel the heat of the man's rage even from here. The crowd was twenty feet away now. Fifteen. Syrinx looked at him through swollen eyes. Ten. Holding his breath, Jim stepped out into thin air. The waves rose up to meet him, enveloped him. He surfaced once, spluttering and churning at the water long enough to see bodies leaping from the jetty after him. He felt a rope drag past him like an eel, tried to grasp it too late, and felt it snake away through the water, and he was under again. He saw the belly of the Archon tearing through the foam as he flailed and floundered. 
A hand grasped his, impossibly white against the blue, and suddenly the water was rushing past him. He kicked and came up for air and saw the line that dragged them and the faces of the crew that hauled it in. As the water drained from his ears, he heard something above the roar of the water. The crew of the Archon were cheering. Our voyage through the world of the Risen Tide continues in the next episode, which will be here in just a few days. New chapters will be released on Monday and Thursday every week, so hit subscribe to stay up to date, or if you just can't wait, the full tale is available today on Audible, Spotify, and more. If you'd rather read than listen, head over to talesofthearisentide.com or Amazon to grab yourself a hard copy or ebook. Thanks for listening.